When you ask me, when can I do a deep breath for the first time in five weeks? When they say we have a vaccine. That's when it is over. But there will be points between now and then where we should feel more confident and we should feel better. Well, I want it to be over tomorrow. I get it. I want it to be over tomorrow. I want it to be over tomorrow more than you want it to be over tomorrow. But that's not reality. So let's calibrate our expectations. And in the meantime, stay the course because we have accomplished a lot. Welcome to Election Profit Makers, a political podcast. <laughs> I'm David Reese, and I'm joined by my friend Starley Kine. Hi, Starley. Hi. And this other friend, John Kimball. Hi, John. Hey, David. Hey, Starley. John, your hair looks good. Don't worry about it. I know it's longer than it's ever been in your life. You're not used to having all that weight on your head. But if any other man your age was to wake up with that head of hair they would feel like a blessed child of God, okay? So just hang in Thank there. Thank you. Yeah. That's very nice of you to say. Your hair is the last thing you need to be worrying about right now. That's true. So today, three important topics. Topic number one, massive New York Times article on Saturday about Trump's reaction, or lack thereof, hmm. to the coronavirus. This is one of those New York Times articles that's so big and researched that they're not content to just publish the article. They also published the second article that, that is kind of like <laughs> a book review of the main article. Like, here's five things that you should learn about our main article that we know you're not going to read because <laughs> you're lazy and you're just watching Netflix all day, you bum. It was really long. I mean, it was kind of it wasn't as long as um, that article about how he never paid taxes. Remember when that article came out? I feel oh like they had like God. I feel like they had three supplementary articles to that main article. That was such a huge deal when that happened, and that's a big deal now. I mean, that doesn't mean anything now. <laughs> no. no, but it wasn't even – I feel like even when it, that one came out, it wasn't the big deal it was supposed to be, which is why they kept doing supplemental articles. Like, you could tell uh, that they yeah, had, right. yeah. those reporters hadn't talked to their families in months reporting on that. And they were like, listen to my mixtape, listen to my mixtape, and no one, no one cared. This is the new article about Trump that the Times has been working on. So – there is this email list of all these uh, epidemiologists and intel people and public health people, right? And government people discussing the uh, the looming coronavirus. And as Trump kept kept fucking up and, and acting like a stone idiot, uh, these, e these emails, which the New York Times got access to, got more and more frantic, right? And the name of this email list was Red Dawn. Yeah, they're, they're incredible. Um, I'll just read one of the paragraphs. <laughs> this is just classic. Classic New York Times writing. An examination by the New York Times reveals that there were warnings from the intelligence community, national security aides, and government health officials, even as the president played down the crisis. And then later in the main article, that paragraph was from the summary article. In the main article, <laughs> this was my favorite paragraph. The chaotic nature of the Trump White House contributed to the crisis. A lack of planning and a failure to execute, combined with the president's focus on the news cycle and his preference for following his gut rather than the data, cost time and perhaps lives. Perhaps. <laughs> oh, you think, New York Times? <laughs> I hadn't realized till reading the article that there was so many instances, I mean, it was like classic Trump pettiness stuff, where they were about to announce one thing that would have helped us prepare for this, but then he was mad at one of the people. And so then he reversed what was going to be announced. The new thing is Trump is coming out saying that everybody, that everybody is going to get back to work on May 1st and that he has the authority to, to tell everyone to do that. Yeah, that's happening. When did he say yeah, that? That's not going to happen. You know, already that's not going to happen. I think he tweeted so. it this morning, right? Yeah. Wasn't it, it was, that was his tweet where he's like, let it be fully understood that it, he tried to go into like big boy language mode. Right. So the interesting thing that I wanted to say about the article was this stuff about China with uh, my boy Navarro. John, did you find that intriguing like I did? Yeah. I mean, it, the memo that he wrote, of course, it was very anti-China and uh, very hawkish, but the, the memo that he wrote was spot on. I mean, he said that 500,000 American souls could die from this uh, virus, Right. that it would have untold economic losses. So um, he argued in favor of limits on travel from China. And um, 
let's see, it says here that he said that the worst case scenario would be 30% of the U.S. population would get infected. So, And this is, this is Peter Navarro. Yes. Trump administration assistant to the president, director of trade and manufacturing policy. He's an anti-China trade guy. Yep. His hatred of China actually compelled him to write what seems to be a fairly accurate memo about the coronavirus. Trump was not into reading that memo and was pissed that Navarro even wrote it down because he was in the middle of trade negotiations with China, right? And he didn't want to make China mad at him. That's right. So he ignored all that stuff. And now here we are. My question is, is this going to make any different for my precious markets on Predict It? Is this going to affect the election? My my gut says no. Nobody nobody will care. I mean, well, that's right? what I said from the beginning is that it would be a wash between both sides. And I still am sort of thinking that that it that the the partisan balance between both sides they're going to they're going to blame one another. And one described him as subdued and baffled by how the crisis had played out. And then and an economy that he had wagered his re-election on was suddenly in shambles. So people might forget how he handled this and they might just he might be able to pin it on China. He might, you know, he might they might they might think he was did what he could. He did his best during this time. But if the economy falls apart and that's what people voted, people he's got a percentage of his base not his base base, but the people who are like, the economy is doing well, let's keep him in there. If it tanks, I think that will hurt him and that will be a ripple effect from this. What if the economy comes roaring back in October and November and all of a sudden it looks like we're going to end up just with like 5% below the GDP or 5% below where the high was at the time? When I hear you say, what if the economy bounces back? This is like an interesting instance of not a market for it, but in, internally me betting with my heart because I do want the economy to bounce back. I don't want there to be a depression that follows this. But I also know if the economy bounces back, Trump wins. There's just no way he doesn't because then they'll be like he pulled everything off. And we really don't want to change things then. It, it just isn't it. Now I just have an I have an internal dilemma that is going to keep me up at night. You're in a wish pretzel. You're in a classic wish pretzel. You can't reconcile your wishes. Yeah. What about this scenario? What about the scenario where the economy comes back, but you still have 60,000 dead? Uh, the majority of them in blue states and um, a marginalized population that generally tends to vote for Democrats. And they might be pumped up and or or a situation where, you know, he's had this uh, dispute with the with the governor of, of Michigan. That could I potentially they, hurt him in a, in a crucial swing state. But I think the economy is what people care about. And I think it's why a lot of people were going to vote for him anyway. This next time, because the economy was doing well. Yeah, the deaths don't matter at all. No, I don't know. I'd be motivated if somebody in my family died to work pretty hard to get this guy out of office if I felt that he was to blame. If you were a Republican, you wouldn't, though. Right. No. You'd be like, oh, it could have been so much worse. It could have been so much worse. Thank you for your great leadership. He's graded on such a curve that it's like, as long as as long as literally everybody in the country doesn't die, then it's like, hey, he did a pretty good job. Like, it could have been worse. And I'm sure there's some people who will just vote for him out of a sense of relief, like, oh, my God, he didn't fuck that up as bad as I thought he would. Maybe things are going to get better, you know? I'm alive. The fact that I'm a living, I'm still alive means he didn't fuck it up as bad as I thought he would. Therefore, I will have to vote for him. Kind of. Don't you think? Yeah. You know, more people died in this flu epidemic, you know, five years ago. That's what they're going to say. Oh, 70,000 people died in 2015 or whatever. They will continue to blame it on China. And that is the kind of thing that his base loves. (laughs) They love the invisible enemy from Wuhan. Yeah, I mean, it sounds yeah. scary. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that I feel like we have five months of Republicans telling us about like China stuff and you can start getting in some of that conspiracy theory stuff they talk about in that article. Mm-hmm. They can do a lot with that. Right. But what if you have, just have a surge of Democrats and more Democrats come out than did in 2016? I don't know. Does that make a difference? You think Joe Biden's going to get all those Democrats out, man? Yeah. Not all of them, but. Uh, did you forget who the nominee was? Just kidding. To John's credit, it is very easy to forget who the nominee is. Imagine there was an 80s sitcom about 
about political nerds. Like it's the political science club at a high school and there's one kid who's so nerdy. And let's say this is like the Dukakis campaign. What was that? 88 <laughs> or something. And his catchphrase is he's always talking about the, he's always talking about how they should have nominated someone other than Dukakis and the Dukakis is down right. in the polls. And then this kid shows up and he's like, um, did you forget who the nominee was? And everyone's like, Spencer, go to math class. Okay. I'm just saying you could have nominated Paul Songus, but you went with Dukakis. Yeah, yeah. How's the economy going to come roaring back? In, in, under what circumstances can the economy come roaring back? The economy comes roaring back in a case where we have beaten down the first wave by the end of summer and the country starts to open up. And then in October, we're anticipating this big second wave of infections as it gets cold again and because everyone has come. And then perhaps that second wave does not materialize. And everyone goes crazy and spends all their money and stimulates the economy because they're so happy they can kiss again? Well, I, I don't think people are going to be kissing and everything at that point, but the stock market might anticipate that people will be kissing in another six to eight months from them. When are people going to start kissing again on the street? Just like crazy kissing, kissing on the cheek, kissing on the lips kissing never it's never ha it's over <laughs> our wonderful kissing culture is over is kissing done i think it's really it's damaged really yeah because it's going to be 18 months it's going to be a new culture after 18 months post kissing culture yeah i disagree i think people i think once the culture once we actually recover from this it's going to be nothing but kissing on the street i agree <laughs> the streets are going to be so wet with kisses after when this uh, is really truly over and they're like, all right, everybody can go back outside, you know. Once we have a vaccine. It's going to be sick. Like People just, just like licking lampposts. Well, according to Predict It, Donald Trump is still a nine-point favorite to win re-election over Joe Biden. I guess the I guess the geniuses on the Predict It message boards uh, do not believe that this article will make one whit of difference when it comes to Trump's re-election. I thought maybe the only thing that makes me think that more people would read that article than they normally would is the fact that they the that the emails are called Red Dawn. That makes it sound fun and intriguing. It's based on a <laughs> fun old movie. Um, Classic movie, the first ever yeah. first ever PG thirteen movie. The, the I think the PG thirteen rating. Really? I think the PG thirteen really? rating was because of Red Dawn. Because Red Dawn, they were like, it's not. This is more than PG, It's but it's not quite R. We need like a new rating category. And I remember that because I think I saw it. I think it came out when we were in sixth grade, John. I want to explain uh, Red Dawn really quick. Uh, by the way, David, I just fact-checked you, and you are correct that it, it was introduced. It was the first PG-13. It came out July 1st, 1984. I am the boss when it comes to movies. Is that memory, David, from your own, your own experience of it being PG-13? Yeah. Wow. Probably, yeah. So Red Dawn was this incredible movie that came out in the 80s, the height of the Cold War, or I guess like the, the, waning, the waning years of the Cold War, in which the Soviet Union launches a air invasion of the United States. And the commies come over in helicopters and parachute down into the heartland. I can't remember where the movie takes place. It's, yeah, it's it was like, like South Kansas Dakota or, or yeah, somewhere out there. And, um, or maybe maybe it was Michigan, because didn't they call themselves Wolverines? Well, you're, that, thanks. That's a spoiler, John. I was going to oh. get to that in about in about forty five minutes. So the Soviet communists invade America, right? And they take they take all the Americans and they put them in concentration camps. They put them in cages. I know it's hard to believe, but that's what they do. And then this ragtag group of high schoolers. These kids are so tough. I think Patrick Swayze is one of them, right? Yep. Wasn't this one of his early movies? Mm -hmm. They they resist. I mean, this is where the resistance comes from, right? I mean, this is resistance libs right here, 101. They go and they get a bunch of equipment and machine guns and stuff, and then they just start killing these Russians. They do this amazing thing where they build little holes in the ground, and then they make little flaps. Do you remember this, John? I see you nodding your head. So <laughs> they, the Russians were going crazy pretty, trying pretty to badass. find – going crazy trying to find these teenagers like these – these kids, we got to round up these kids. Like we got to put everybody in these cages and, and teach them about communism or whatever. These kids build these little um, hidey holes in the yeah. fields. And then the Russians are coming at them and then the flaps burst up 
the kids jump out with their machine guns and start shooting everybody going, Wolverines! Because they called themselves the Wolverines, one of the toughest animals. Of course, you would call yourself a Wolverine. Maybe it was their high school mascot, maybe? Yeah, that's probably, probably what it like was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, classic movie, beloved beloved by children of all ages, especially beloved by conservative uh, anti-communist propagandist journalists. Mm-hmm. There was, because uh, I look, I wanted to, I I was interested in doing a, a satirical reboot of Red Dawn back in the day when I thought I was going to be a famous movie writer, and it turns out that another a conservative guy had written. A reboot of it, but this time it was Muslim fundamentalists parachuting into America to impose Sharia law. <laughs> I love nice. projection. I love the psychological phenomenon of projection. I know we all do it, but if you're a conservative and you're like, I'm going to write an update of Red Dawn where a bunch of Muslims parachute into America and force everybody to do their way of life. He was writing this in uh, during the Iraq war, of course. So the projection <laughs> yeah. is yeah, like... Yeah. Pretty sweet. Anyway, Red Dawn. That's the Red Dawn reference. If you've never seen the movie, it's just one of those movies where you're like, oh, right. Like, this is like, I don't know if the no, feeling is like. it's one of those like, movies from the 80s that you need to watch that in in the day after with, you know, the nuclear holocaust yeah, movie yeah. that came out maybe a few years before that. Mm-hmm. But Red Dawn is one of those. I've never seen Red Dawn. Yeah, you should see it. It's kind. It's one of it's it's one of those movies that's half fun and half crushingly depressing. Like, oh my god, we're so dumb. This culture is so fucking dumb. You know? Yeah. And you start oh. rooting for the Russians because it's like the fact that American culture made a movie this boneheaded and stupid means we should be invaded from the sky by <laughs> by dirt, filthy <laughs> communists. Remember, remember that? I mean. We don't have to keep talking about it. Remember that scene in the classroom, John? It's this incredible shot of just like dudes landing on the ground outside of like a high school classroom. And then yeah, they just was, come in. It was and, awesome. Yeah, it was exciting. Charlie Sheen um, was in it. Yes. And Gen- Jennifer Grey. Yes. Yes. Pre or post nose job. That was definitely pre. I don't think they had nose jobs in the 80s, did they? Yeah, that's her. That's Jennifer Grey's. Uh, that's what she's known for is getting a career destroying nose job that rendered her kind of unrecognizable. Oh my God. I once had a doctor tell me that I had the most deviated septum he had ever seen. And he was an, he was an ENT doctor. <laughs> really? Yeah. I used to work at the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary for a corneal surgeon. And I was having like bad, I don't know, it was a flu or a cold or something. Anyway, someone was like, you work at a nose hospital, go have one of these doctors, look at your nose, see what's fucked up. And I went and met this old nose doctor and he leaned me back in the chair and I was like, I'm having trouble breathing through my nose. He was like, no, what he said was, can you, he was basically like, can you even breathe through this piece of shit nose? <laughs> like, and then he said this, he was like, I've been a nose doctor for like 30 years. This is the most deviated septum I have ever seen. Like, I, this is why I can't Whoa. eat an apple and walk at the same time. Okay. This is one of my life's pet peeves because if you eat, if you're eating an apple, the apple is filling your mouth. You can't get a breath, right? When you're eating an apple, you have to breathe through your nose. But my nose is always so clogged up and congested. If I try to walk while I'm eating an apple, I'll get lightheaded because I won't be able to breathe. So if I'm going to eat an apple, I need to spend time with the apple. I need to sit down, you know, clear my schedule, get a paring knife so I can be breathing out the side of my mouth while I'm trying to eat these little pieces of apple. Anyway, the New York Times article is just depressing. It's exactly what you think. I mean, it's depressing because it's exactly what you think it's going to be. Okay, right? And if the economy bounces back somehow, Trump will suffer no consequences for for basically having all these people die. At least it's getting at least it's getting it's getting put down on record. This seems a little it probably will change nothing. But I was relieved reading it being like, I want a list. I want to know the specific ways that he cost people their lives. I think it's important too, just for historical reasons, but it's not going to affect anything. We, we just don't have the attention span. I guess that's true. But it'll be good to have down for when people read about it 100 years from now. So I know. I get so fixated on like, will this article make a difference? Will this revelation move the markets? But yeah, probably not. But it is good, it is good to know like objectively what happened in reality. On the other hand, we have 2,000 years of history and wound up with fucking Donald Trump as the president of the United States. So maybe it doesn't make a difference. Like, it's not like there's never been history before. I think about that all the time when it comes to like TV and movies and art and literature and stuff. And they're like, oh, it's so important to keep telling stories because they bring out the best in us. And we learn it's like, I don't know, man, Donald Trump is president. 
Like maybe this shit doesn't work at all. Maybe this was no. maybe like it. It does work because we've all we've been telling the wrong for the most of the time we've been telling the wrong stories. Like history oh, okay. is right. filled with the wrong stories, so that's how we got Donald Trump. Yeah, we've made it all about certain kinds of people leading the world. And then you get him. Oh, right. Yeah, you're right. So now you have to tell new stories. And we've got to tell the right stories as long as we told the wrong stories. 2,000 years. Buckle up. For real. Or tell more of them faster to make up for it. But it's going to be about, um, like, mass. You're talking about Story Slam? Yeah. Topic number two, the United States Post Office. The post office is collapsing because of coronavirus. Revenue is down, and they said they're going to run out of money by September unless Congress gets them some money, which the Republicans don't want to do. No, Republicans are into it. They want the post office finished. Because they want to privatize it, right? Yeah. They don't seem to know much about the post office. Wait, what? Yeah. I, well, you know what? I got to admit, I didn't know a lot of these facts about the post office either. Hit us with some facts about the post office then. Well, there's something like 650,000 people that work for the post office. Huge employer. 300,000 of them are veterans. Yeah. Um, I haven't fact checked this, so I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. How much profit um, or how many F-35s do you think the post office costs annually? The F-30, the fighter jet? Yeah. How, how many? How much? The, the answer is 28. So... Yeah, the post office is nothing compared to how much the military cost. And yeah, how much mil- how much money does the military make every year? Right. Do they make a profit? No, and they also don't have to fund their pensions for 50 years or whatever the the crazy pension thing that they that they put through, which is why they're in the red, right? Did you know about that? I didn't know about no, I didn't any- know about that. I didn't know about that. That is so crazy. So why are this is what I don't understand and I'm not being disingenuous and I'm not trying to be a dork. Why do Republicans want to privatize the post office? I understand that they are free market fundamentalists and that's their answer for everything. And I understand that they're probably friends with private shipping industry or something. So they have people whispering in their ears like, give us the post office, give us the post office. That's what it is right there. But honestly, it's like, it's just part of their creed. I mean, is it just their creed? Like we ha- something is not privatized. It has to be privatized because that's what we do because that's our brand. And also it'll make liberals cry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They want to troll liberals, and they also want to hand over all that incredible technology the post office has and and give it away to UPS or FedEx or whatever. But the trolling of liberals, it's not like the postal service. Everyone gets mail. Everyone gets it. So it's not a liberal Only cause. liberals love it, though, Starly. <laughs> <laughs> you know you love the post office. Oh, man. I mean, only liberals might be, like, precious about it. Maybe that's what it is. Like where we just like, oh, letter writing. It's we're not the ones right. who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're not, at least in the cities. We're not like we don't depend on mail to communicate with people. That's what's so interesting right. is like they claim that they're for like rural America, but that it, in the same way that Republicans, this is that Republicans' actual brand is doing what they do at the expense of the people they claim to be caring about the most. Yeah, without the post office, nobody in rural America is getting a package or a parcel like ever again. It's going to cost so much money. Yeah, because that's what that tweet thread was so interesting that you sent us where he was saying that that last mile stuff. Right. Where the UPS and FedEx drop it off and then the postal service actually takes it to that last they mile, take it, which take is it so over poetic. The, they take it over the, the, into the end zone. Yeah. This is a Twitter thread of a, a post office worker. And that's why none of that's why this isn't going to happen. Really? This is like when President Bush tried to privatize Social Security and then just epically tripped over his own dick because they realized like, oh, yeah. people actually really like Social Security. Yeah, it's ne- it was never going to happen. And plus, all, I think a lot of this isn't uh, Republican orthodoxy. It's I think a lot of it's just driven by Trump's ego and how much he hates Bezos. Because the post office has a deal with Amazon for delivery. Yeah. He thinks they're in cahoots together. So if he brings down the post office, Jeff Bezos will have to pay, I guess, fair market rates for delivery, and then Amazon will go out of business or something. Right. And Or in the Washington Post. I mean, his his big issue is with the Washington Post, which is owned by Bezos. So Yeah. But that's, what, that's what's so wild is we have so much to worry about right now. The last thing I expected to 
have to add to that list and to be like kind of high up on the list this week of my concerns is, am I, are we going to lose mail? Are we going to lose the postal service? <laughs> like that is unbelievable that, right. that, that this yeah. is what we are now having to, f I'm, I'm gathering my, my friend's addresses so that we can start sending letters back to each other this week because the because there's what the uh, mail has dropped like 50% right now during the mm -hmm. pandemic. No one's mm -hmm. sending anything. So I'm sending letters this week to save mail. Buy stamps. Yeah, buy stamps. It's like the restaurants that you that you want to support, buy a gift certificate, use it later. Buy stamps now, use them later. I love forever stamps. When they introduced the forever stamp, I was so skeptical, but I love it. I love the concept of you buy a stamp now, that rate is locked in forever. It even says the word forever on the stamp. That is so tough. How often does the U.S. government talk about in terms of forever? Do you know what that's I mean? Why, that's why they're coming for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what it's they a don't true want. institution. Yeah. And that stamp is like such an affirmation of our values. Like, yeah, you can put this on a postcard forever. It's going to get where it's going forever. This is the United States Post Office. We're here forever. Fuck around and find out. USPS forever stamps. <laughs> I have so many different types of forever stamps. I love them. But the forever stamps lulled. That's why I... I believed the forever and forever stamps. I saw forever and I was like, okay, these stamps work forever. Of course, because what kind of fucking sociopath is going to privatize the, the U.S. post office? Right. You can't use forever stamps if you don't have a postal service. Right. Well, John seems pretty confident it's not going to happen. Unfortunately, Predict It has fucked up yet again and there are no markets involving the post office. I hope they'll correct that as soon as possible. But John, when you say they're not going to privatize the post office... It's going to run out of money unless the Democrats put in post office support into the next coronavirus bill. Do you think that's going to happen? Sure. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. I mean, well, whatever needs to happen will happen. There's no way the post office can fail. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know that I'm not going to waste any of my time worrying about the post office right wow. now. Wow. The W word. John's precious time shall not be wasted on this issue of the post office. Yeah. I just think they're trolling. Hmm. That's possible. Can you, think of, can you think of any other times in the last few years when you've dismissed something as trolling and then woken up to realize like it actually happened? Like, no. oh, they weren't kidding. Like they actually did it. I can think of something. Another great American institution that I totally love and that used to like it used to sum up the everything that's best about our country. And it was like so idealistic. And it meant so much to me. It made me feel so good. And then when they canceled it, it was like a fucking tragedy. And do you know what it was? The White House Correspondents Association dinner. All, the, <laughs> all those funny jokes. When the yeah, politicians and the elite media could come together and rub each other's shoulders and be like, oh, you're such a naughty boy. Here's a <laughs> oh, you're, you're naughty too. We don't like each other. I'm just kidding. I'm glad that's gone. That is the one good thing that Trump did. That's the one thing Trump did. Yeah. And I was kind of like, okay, I like that. Yeah. Anyway, we just wanted to give a shout out to the post office. Starley and I especially love the post office. We should get a P.O. box and we can um, have people send us mail. John's relationship to mail is a little more fraught. I know for a fact that John rarely checks his mailbox because when I send John a little care package or a card i have to text him and say don't forget john i'm like such a mom john don't forget to check your mailbox because i i sent you a little collage that i made or something like that i can't remember the last thing i mailed you why don't you like the mail john because it's nothing but bills and lawsuits and domain disputes and it brings bad news <laughs> yeah. for john right that yeah, i found never, that really never any good i understand that i found that really interesting too looking into the post office this week i didn't it really did make me appreciate I don't think it's good for the environment, but it did make me appreciate when they, because my mailbox is mainly filled with um, flyers and stuff, whatever, coupons and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then occasionally I'll get, I try to go paperless billing and then occasionally I'll get a card from someone and it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I didn't realize that they were, they said that even though we hate those coupons, that's actually, we want to keep those going because it gives. Yeah, they pay for everything. I'm going to look at those coupons differently now. I wrote a sign on my mailbox for my mailman, thanking him. Oh, That sign comes down the second this is over. <laughs> <laughs> You've been thanked. Move along. <laughs> yeah. I would like to just say my post office story is I've dealt with post office workers 
all over the East Coast over the years with with my various business. I've had the U.S. Post Office mail out like more than 2,000 hand-sharpened pencils all over the world with a minimum of fuss. And my my post office clerk Gail was such a was such a was such a nice person to see uh, every day when I was mailing out all those damn pencils. Uh, she was so good natured about it. We had a nice relationship. I really miss Gail. And then there were these women in Brooklyn when I lived in Brooklyn and I was selling mugs and mouse pads. They'll tell you how long ago this was. I was making good money on mouse pads, mugs and mouse pads, and T-shirts and hats of my various cartoons. And I would go to the post office every day and. Um, those ladies would be so mad at me because I would, they always were trying to be like, use click and ship, use click and ship. I was like, I'm not using it. I'm analog post office face to face. I'm here. For, and they would say, you can only do 10 packages at a time. I spent all fucking day at the post office mailing this stuff. And then when I moved away, I brought them a big um, bouquet of flowers to thank them for all their help. So yeah, I love the post offices. And I also love that post offices in a lot of towns are like really nice and have like amazing murals from the WPA. It's like a civic, you know, it's the greatest. It's the greatest. My- the other reason they hate the post office is that Republicans are threatened by the idea of vote by mail. And this is the president's new bugaboo that he's convinced it's – I mean, he's not convinced. I shouldn't I shouldn't impute thought or internal mental states to this guy. But the president is saying that vote by mail is rife for corruption. So I'm sure one of the benefits when they fantasize about ending the post office is then there would be no vote by mail. You'd have to show up in person. It's so crazy. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. Topic number three, the most intriguing and dumb market unpredicted right now. Will Andrew Cuomo run for president in 2020? Yes, trading at 11 cents. 11 cents. Will Andrew Cuomo run for president in 2020? Is that up? Does he, is that up? It's no change. He's been holding steady. I mean, there's multiple Cuomo markets. There's also... Um, <laughs> Who will be the 2020 Democratic nominee? Andrew Cuomo trading at seven cents to be the nominee. Now, everyone knows I've taken a position against Joe Biden being the eventual nominee, but that does not mean (laughs) I'm signing on for seven cent Andrew Cuomo. That's nuts. Well, how do you feel about people loving Cuomo right now, David? Well, I'm not into it. I understand it. Can I jump in for a second? You said he's trading at 11 cents to, to win the presidency? No, 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 no. To run. Oh, to to run. To be the nominee. To run. Yeah. To run. Okay. Not to win, just to run. Ooh, I, I need to get in on that one. You're going to take the 90 cent no on that? Yeah. Do it. <laughs> you buy no while I explain the Cuomo stuff. Okay. I lived in New York on 9-11. Before 9-11, I hated Rudy Giuliani. Okay. He was just a thug and uh, an authoritarian. And then on 9-11, his first public statement was incredible. He had like a couple of mortal phrases that I still think about. They're a paraphrase. One was he said like the, the ultimate the cost is going to be more than we can bear or something like that. He was talking about the dead. And then the other thing he said was like, it's a beautiful day out. Like go outside. It was incredible. And for 24 hours, I was into Rudy Giuliani. Of course, that faded almost as quickly as it had started. But I understood in that moment, like, holy shit, like there can be a crisis or something where people step up and say the right thing. And like, it can make a difference psychologically. You know what I mean? Same thing with, I will say this, Bush's address to Congress after 9-11 was also like a pretty good speech. I went up to Columbia Journalism School to watch it with a friend of mine who was in the journalism program there. So I was watching it with a crowd of people who are trained to be fairly skeptical if they're doing their job well. And I think a lot of people were ready to kind of dump on that speech. And afterwards, the mood was kind of like, holy shit, that was not a bad speech by George W. Bush, you know? Obviously, he also went on to be a colossal fuck up and failure in every conceivable way. Um, But in that moment also, it was like, oh, this leader's kind of doing a good job, right? Now, like 9-11, the coronavirus is a destabilizing and horrifying a disruptive force in all of our lives. The president is not up to the task of reassuring us. And so it falls to governors uh, to try to organize and strategize to save the lives of their citizens and then also to give public pronouncements about everything. And from what I understand, Cuomo's doing a pretty good job as governor of New York. But I mean, come on, dude. He is like, they just made, he just made it easier for like people to get held in jail without being convicted of a crime. Like all the prison stuff is bad. 
The fucking state budget is bad. The subway he won't raise stuff taxes on bad. billionaires even in the middle of a pandemic. Like, guys, come on. I mean, you mean he couldn't raise it during the during the pandemic? I mean, he passed. He tried to pass the same budget. You mean he yeah, didn't change yeah, the yeah. budget? Why um, didn't he say, "Oh, alert! Special pandemic budget. All billionaires down on Wall Street. Give us more money. It's a pandemic. We need ventilators." Like, why didn't he do that? So a couple weeks ago, I was standing outside talking to my neighbor, huge Bernie supporting couple, my two neighbors, um, bumper sticker on the car and everything. And we were talking and we were talking about, it was before Bernie dropped. We were just talking about the general. We were actually, we were were complaining about Garcetti, the mayor of LA, who I do not like. And then she's, then, and then at the end of it, she's like, oh, and Cuomo. And I like had this reaction where I was like, I, I can't. I can't do this and I don't want to do this right now. I don't think it's about being naive and like pretending that he didn't do like the stuff that Cuomo is bad about. Eyes wide open about that. But it's not just like Giuliani and Bush giving speeches. Like the fact that we have a narcissist as president is so terrifying to watch during this pandemic, to watch someone who you know does not care about people because he can only care about himself. He's got a pathological disorder that makes him unable to care about people dying and the people he is governing. And so I've watched those Cuomo um, addresses. They are incredibly comforting. There's something, when you watch them, you don't, it's very hard to feel cynical watching him about how he about the heartache he talks about when he says people about people dying right now i feel we are all doing what we need to do to get through this and we are letting in what we need to let in and keeping out what we need to keep out so it just feels really important to let people have that right now to let people feel comforted by cuomo right now because there's going to be time. There's going to be so much time for us to like talk about him cutting Medicaid and all the stuff that we were frustrated about. It is really saying something right now to be to be a leader because we are seeing we have an example. We don't have Bush right mm-hmm. now. We have an example of such colossal failing in the, in 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 terms of empathy and leadership. And so mm-hmm. it just is the reason I have felt so lost during the Trump years is not only because of like the onslaught of bad news is because I don't know what to hold on to anymore. It is really, really hard to know that so many people that I not Trump, but like so many people on the left that I grew up admiring or just thinking were the good guys have all these flaws and all these there's all these problems with it. It makes me feel like I'm just endlessly falling. And so I personally need to believe that someone is stepping up and doing the right thing right now to like center myself, to be able to go on after this. And like with the Giuliani thing, what I always feel about Giuliani turning out to be so much worse than we even thought he was gonna be is I think about him during 9-11 and I feel heartbroken because I was comforted by him. And it is heartbreaking when someone turns out to be so bad, who you actually felt solace from. And I feel like we have to remember those moments. We have to hold those in our hearts and our memories if things are ever gonna get better. It's really important to value those moments and to believe that people are capable of that or else we're just never going to feel okay. So are you going to put your money where your mouth is and and put some money on Cuomo being the Democratic nominee? Yeah, I think for now. Really? I will because right now, so the thing about predicted to me is these markets are, everything's stagnated. It's only, the only thing unpredicted is is markets for the election in November and then like whether Trump will tweet and stuff like Cuomo being the nominee and Cuomo being the nominee, um, I feel like predicted is in this suspended time along with everything else. So there's nothing new advancing in the world, which is why the predicted markets are the same. These weird Seen static markets. Yep, yeah. yeah. And yep. so I'm willing to in this time. Like, if we're going to be in suspended reality, can't we just spend our time wishing for things and hoping for things? <laughs> <laughs> I can bet on Cuomo right now because he's the one. He's the one making me feel sane. Do it. He's Eleven one... cents. Will Andrew Cuomo run for president in twenty twenty? That's that's cheap. I mean, let's say something. I mean, too cheap. Too cheap. Frankly. I mean, let's say something happens to I, Joe. B- I would buy. I would not buy that one. I would buy. I think he has more chance of being the Dem nominee if something were to happen to Biden. I don't think he's going to run. Mm-hmm. You know outside of if something happened to Biden. So you're saying the better in that case. So it's better to buy him at six cents for who will the 2020 Democratic nominee be? Yeah, that's my opinion. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like John's 
Yeah, I like John weighing in on my wish. I mean, I still got all these shares of Elizabeth Warren somehow becoming president. I understand wish. I understand using predicted as a wishing well rather than a, you know, IRA. Yeah. Like I, I, do the, <laughs> I do the same thing. I got so not- many wishes on Elizabeth Warren. You know, Joe Biden trips, slips on a banana peel and conks his head and can't remember <laughs> who he is. So he can't be the nominee. And then Elizabeth Warren shows up, you know, it's like yes. that for you. But with Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, and it's not even, I'm not even wishing for him to be president. I'm wishing for the hope that is embodied in his weekly addresses to be president, sort of. I'm hoping for us to just get better and be better and be able to believe in things again. Or for the first time, maybe, since all of history seems to have been a lie. Um, my dog is named Opapa from the book The Road, which is a post-apocalyptic book. Um, but it's not, there's no character in the book called Oh, Papa, it's about a father and a son. But every there's like these three times in the book where like something truly horrible happens and the boy is so innocent that he says, oh, Papa, to his dad because he can't believe that the world could be that dark because he represents goodness. And so like I named my dog after the sentiment of hope in the face of no hope. And I feel like Cuomo in this moment represents, embodies a certain sentiment. I know all this stuff. I promise. <laughs> I know it all. And I'll get back to it. But in this moment, I need to I need to put my I need to bet on a market within my heart, in my being. And uh, so that'll be the one. This is an election profit makers exclusive Starly Kind bet of the week. Andrew Cuomo, Dem nominee, <laughs> six cents. Yeah. John, what do you think? I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that's a fine bet. <laughs> Yeah, right? I think you're gonna. It's basically gonna a nickel, a nickel a wish. Bet. I mean, right? Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's it's the sure. Goonie scene. Go for it. yeah. It's our time down here. And did, maybe you could ride some waves. That's did, true. Uh, there could be some wave riding. You don't have to see it. All, remember, you don't have to see it all the way through to the to the nominating convention. Maybe he'll give a couple more addresses, and it'll spike up, and then you can hop off your board. You know, John, you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna have to advise me on that, on the wave riding. Yeah, you don't you don't want to ride the wave. Onto the shore. You want to hop off before you hit land. I feel like I want to jump off the board as soon as this ends with Cuomo because people are going to immediately get very mad at him. John, do you have any feelings about Cuomo one way or the other? I think his uh, press conferences have been very refreshing. I just watched one. I think it was yesterday. The reporters ask him questions and he answers. Like we, we've normalized <laughs> so much chaos. So right. it's a rare instance of being able to watch someone be honest, a politician be honest in real time because they're not expecting anything that's happening. The situation is so out of the ordinary that you think their defenses get down and they're like, well, I guess I'll just tell the truth. Yeah, except for like, I mean, then they'll ask him about de Blasio and then he falls back into like, you know, <laughs> rivalry and he clearly wants to like take de Blasio down. And But even that kind of feels like an old fashioned political infighting that seems like from a better time. Yeah, he's being honest. Yeah, it, even that seems more normal than what we've been living with. Every single part of it is like just a reminder of at least I don't want to go back to business as usual before Trump either. I understand everything was fucked up. I understand we have to take the system down. I understand it's all broken. But there is something. There are certain things, basic levels of communication that we have lost that he is providing by these addresses. He's not mentally damaged in the way the president is just mentally damaged. And so hearing him speak, it's like, oh, a human is speaking to me, a human with feelings, a human who has a human perspective, a point of view, that type of thing. If anything, I feel like we could just look at Cuomo's weekly addresses as like ways to remember how to talk to people. We're all like, we're talking, the three of us are talking on our computers right now. Even seeing someone in the same room with someone answering questions, responding, all of it. We have like, we've forgotten what normal is because of Trump. And then on top of that, we've forgotten what normal is because of the lives we're living now. And so this is kind of like a study in human behavior. We shouldn't all become him. His brand of human is not who we all have to become, but it is, it is soothing. Hmm. Maybe I'll, I haven't watched any of his press conferences. Maybe I will. John, how's Roy Cooper doing down in North Carolina, Democratic governor? Roy Cooper's doing an incredible job. Uh, mm-hmm. The numbers in North Carolina look really good uh, per capita wise. And North Carolina is the ninth most populous state. So you would expect to have a lot more cases here. I think some of that is probably luck. Uh, but a lot of that is that he shut down things pretty early compared to a lot of other states, especially compared to a lot of other southern states. He's, he's done a, an excellent job. Been very proud of North Carolina in this case. 
You know what, John? I'm going to hit you with something. We got a listener question. It came in right as we were beginning to record. John, this is a question for you from Neil. Starts off by saying nice things about earning the mixtape. We appreciate that, Neil. Um, here's the question, John. Neil writes, so in the final crushing episode, this is the final episode of our first season, which we recorded the day after the election in 2016. In the final crushing episode, we know that John Kimball, the Warren B of Predicted, was out something like $5,000 on election night. Number one, was this blow lessened by his negative risk positions? Number two, how much of that $5,000 was paper money that was never in John's actual bank account? And number three, did John still have to pay taxes on 2016 gains given that he was down for the year? Because it's been four years, a lot of this I don't remember. And I I blocked a lot of it. So I did not have any negative risk positions at that point. Um, I lost uh real money that was not in my bank account, but it was in my predicted account. So it wasn't virtual in terms of that sense, but I had never cashed it out. And I do believe that I paid taxes in 2016 based on some earlier trades uh, on predicted where I did remove some money. So I, I don't know if this is going to be a great answer to this listener. You blocked it out. It was traumatic. Because it just came in. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I, 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 Leave us alone, Neil. He doesn't want to talk about it. Why are you bringing this back up, Neil? Come on. Just kidding. Thank you for your question, Neil. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Election Profit Makers Bets of the Week. I'm starting with you, John. John, what is your bet of the week? My bet of the week is that Fauci will not resign or be replaced or that he will still be in his current position through May the 1st. That was the same bet I was going to make. Well, there's a lot of people in the right-wing blogosphere right now that are just saying, Fauci's going to go down, Fauci's going to go down, and I don't think he is. And he's he's really dropping, but I think I bought a little early. I bought a bunch of shares at 80 cents and now he's at 75. So I'm already underwater there. Wait, and, check again, John, because I'm about to buy this, the very same. I'm going to buy into the very same market for my bet of the week. Will Anthony Fauci be director of the NIAID on May 1st? I'm buying yes at 86 ooh, it's back cents. Up to 80? Yeah, I'm going now. Ooh. I'm going now. Submit offer. You're, you're no or yes? I'm Yes. I was okay. convinced that he would get fired. And then our friend was like, but Trump can't fire him because he's a civil servant. He's not an appointee. Um, so right. I'm buying. Yes, at least he could still quit. He could Fauci quit. Could I don't quit. think he'll quit. I think he's like one of those guys like Colin Powell, who's just going to who's just going to eat shit and try to get the job done because he because he's putting country before his own self-respect. Do you know what I mean? Um, I actually shouldn't compare yep. him to Colin Powell. I like him a lot more than Colin Powell, and he has a lot less blood on his hands than Colin Powell does. And the other thing I think is that if Trump is going to fire Fauci, he'd probably wait till it is all over and then fire him and make him the scapegoat. Right. He can't fire him now. Fauci's got an 80% approval rating. And when, when Trump fired Comey, his Trump's approval took a major dip, and Comey wasn't that popular. People, so here's the thing. People like Fauci, the deep state. The deep state is actually yeah. pretty popular. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like this yeah. coronavirus has made me the Iraq war. I was anti deep state. The coronavirus. <laughs> I'm like, this state can't get fucking deep enough. And that's, <laughs> this is actually what kind of makes me excited to vote for Joe Biden. Joe Biden, if he's the nominee, I'll vote for him. Unless this uh, the Tara Reid thing is like totally confirmed. And then I don't know what the fuck is going to happen, but put, wow. let's put the Joe Biden specific stuff aside. It's like, you're not voting for Joe Biden. You're voting for the deep state. Get these fucking doctors and engineers and scientists back in charge of everything. Somebody on Twitter thought it was a sick burn to be like, why would you even vote for Joe Biden? You're basically voting for his cabinet. You're like, you're fucking right. I'm voting for his cabinet. I don't care if Joe Biden shows up to work. If he's the president, I just need that cabinet in there. <laughs> I need all these dudes in their lab coats doing their studies and somebody actually paying attention to them when they're like, oh yeah, there's a huge pandemic coming out of China and Europe. We should get ready for it. So Fauci is super popular. Like Comey is super popular. 
people like the deep state. The deep state is number one. But I do think Trump will kick him to the curb, just not by May 1st. That's why I got just got into this market at 86. I think though, I think he will. Too. I, I agree you, with how that. How much did you invest, David? I I have invested six hundred dollars. <laughs> Here we go, John Kimball, all in on the deep state. I love it. I am all in. So oh my I'm gonna god! Get killed. I'm gonna get killed here if if uh, he drops dead or gets fired or quits. Yeah, you have two I, weeks, I, right? Because it doesn't say anything about firing. It just wow. says, "Will he be the director on May 1st? Two weeks, Fauci. You better hang in there. Do I your think job. He's gonna Keep your head down. Starley's um, battery died on her recorder. This is life during quarantine. Typically, she would run down to the corner store and, and pick up some new batteries. That's not an option right now. So Starley has asked me to convey her bets of the week to you. Dear listeners, they are as follows. Donald Trump will lose in November. She's still taking that position. And number two, she's going to buy some shares of Andrew Cuomo being the Dem nominee. Six cents. How could she not? Those are Starley's two bets of the week. What do you think of those positions, John? Those are fine. Wow. Those can bring Starley joy. Yeah, I think and I think uh, betting on Trump to lose is a, is a good bet. All right. We will see. We will yeah. see. That's it for this week's edition of Election Profit Makers. I'm David Reese. I was joined with Starley Kine and John Kimball. Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com electionprofitmakers. Send your election prediction questions to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the rumors are true. This is now a Tuesday podcast. Tuesdays are Election Profit Makers Money Lose Days. So look for us every Tuesday in your podcast fiend. In your podcast fiend. Look for us every Tuesday in your podcast feed. Remember, Tuesdays are election profit makers money lose days. I wish Tuesday rhymed with win day because then we could say Tuesdays are election profit makers money win days. We don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. Keep your chin up, everybody. And thank you, postal workers. Buy stamps. Buy stamps.